Hello, friends. If you can't tell by the sound of my voice, this is not Steffi or Hayden. I'm Rebecca Fay. I'm the Director of Education here at Hybrid, and I'm going to be taking over for today's episode. Now, today's podcast episode is really going to focus in on training through and around pain using some of the key concepts we utilize here at hybrid. So if you're out there and you're dealing with some nagging aches and pains during your training sessions and you're wondering, you know, what's the best way to go about making them better? Should you see someone in person? Should you train through the pain or should you train around it and find ways to let that area calm down a bit? We're going to go through some hard and fast rules that we tend to use a lot at hybrid. So if you're in the hybrid discord channel, you'll already know this, but we have a team of doctor moderators or doc mods as we call it. So I'm one of them. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. I graduated in 2019, so still fairly new, but have learned a lot since I started working at hybrid in the summer of 2020. So I'm on that team of doc mods along with a couple of other awesome clinicians, physical therapists, chiropractors. And basically what we do is we monitor the channel and we're alerted anytime someone posts a question about a particular pain or ache or issue they're having with a lift. So we can help them troubleshoot those issues, asking a lot of questions, getting a little bit more data from them, a little bit more information from them, getting their side of the story. And we kind of help them determine whether or not this is something that might just go away with time. Maybe it's something that they can implement some specific drills that will help it get better in time. Or maybe we help them determine you know, a good point to refer to someone else, to go see someone in person, to get evaluated and assessed in person, because obviously there are limitations to talking to someone through a computer, right? We can only do so much from miles away. What's up, everyone? It's your favorite podcast producer, Nick Tricana, here to give you a word from our incredible sponsor over at Element. Listen, you're not getting enough electrolytes or salt in your diet. I see it, Steffi sees it, Hayden sees it, we all see it. Element is an electrolyte drink mix with no sugar, no artificial ingredients, and no BS. Everyone needs electrolytes, especially those on low-carb diets, practice intermittent fasting, are physically active, or sweat a lot. But don't just take my word for it, I mean the proof is in the pudding. US Olympians, players in the NFL, NBA, NHL, and even our own special forces drink Element. I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm the pinnacle of self-performance, but ever since Steffi turned me on to Element, I've seen vast improvements in my everyday training and recovery. You guys can try Element today with a totally risk-free, no questions asked refund policy. And you know what? Because we love y'all so much over here at Hybrid Unlimited, we're going to hook you up with a free sample pack of Element just for you. Each sample pack includes eight grab-and-go packets in a variety of different flavors. All you have to do is go to drinkelement.com slash hybrid. That's drink, L-M-N-T, 
drinklmnt.com slash hybrid. Again, that's drinklmnt.com slash hybrid for your free sample pack of eight grab-and-go element packets. Stay salty, my friends. Now back to the podcast. So today, I'm going to go over some hard and fast rules to help you determine when you should train through pain versus around pain. Now, this episode is not for people who have just suffered a traumatic injury, for example. You know, maybe you broke a bone or maybe you had a really substantial injury where there was an instance where you were like, ah, shit, I got to sit down. Now, if you're also recovering from surgery, this episode is not for you. So if you fall into either of those categories where you've just suffered a traumatic injury or you're recovering from surgery, you definitely should see someone in person and not necessarily take what we're saying today as gospel, all right? You have a very specific plan probably that you're to be following based on the people who have seen you in person already if you've sought help, which you should. So let's talk a little bit first about how to describe and quantify your pain. So when we get a question on the Discord channel and someone says, oh, my blank hurts when I do blank, right? It's usually a very general statement and they're just looking for some direction, right? So one of the first things we try and tease out from this person is how they would describe their pain, what adjectives would they use to describe that pain? You know, is it a dull ache? Is it really, really sharp? Does it radiate? Is it really localized to one region or one area? And when do they feel that pain, right? If they say, oh, I feel it when I squat. Well, do you feel it when you do an air squat or do you feel it when you do really heavy squats that are up there in terms of your one rep max percentage. Do you feel it only at the bottom of the squat or throughout the whole movement? Those are things we really want to know because it can kind of steer us in a certain direction. Then we want the person to quantify their pain, right? Now, one common tool that's used to quantify pain and kind of give us a little bit more of an a subjective idea of how severe this person's symptoms are is a visual analog scale. So basically that's just having the person rate their pain on a scale from one to 10, probably zero to 10. We give them that option to give it a zero as well. So from zero to 10, zero is, you know, nothing at all. Don't even notice it. 10 is take me to the hospital. Something's gone seriously wrong, right? So we want an idea of where that person's symptoms lie on that zero to 10 scale. Now that can get a little bit confusing for some people, you know, maybe they've never felt a 10 out of 10 pain. So maybe their visual analog scale is a little bit skewed, right? They're not really sure what a 10 out of 10 is, or maybe what a five out of 10 is. That's a little bit too maybe the visual analog scale is a little bit too nebulous for them to conceptualize, which is really common. So one thing that we like to use instead is 
a pain stoplight scale where you can kind of group some of those numbers together in terms of green light pain or yellow light pain or red light pain. So let's go through those levels because I really like using that analogy for a lot of the athletes on the Discord channel and I like using it in person with different clients and patients as well. So if you're feeling green light pain, that to me means that your pain levels range from zero to three out of 10. They're manageable. They're noticeable a little bit. They don't impede your workout or your movement or the activity that you're doing, right? It doesn't change your form or make you limp when you're walking, but it's there. And it's important to realize that green light pain can be zero. It can be none at all, but it can also be creeping up to a one, a two, or even a three on the pain scale. Now, in my eyes, the hallmark sign of green light pain is maybe it's there at first. Maybe you're at a two or a three when you start out, but after you get warmed up, it tends to get better and it tends to go away. So if you're experiencing some discomfort with a certain movement, but then you kind of keep flossing that movement, you keep practicing, you kind of get things going and it goes away or it gets substantially better. Maybe now you're at a one out of 10 for the rest of your workout. That means that your pain is responding positively to movement. So movement's probably something that you want to keep doing for that type of pain in most cases. Now, yellow light pain is obviously a step above green light pain. Where green means go in most cases, yellow, as you can probably guess, means proceed with caution. So when you feel yellow light pain, it's more so from a four, maybe all the way up to a six out of 10 on the pain scale. It's moderate, right? It's right in the middle of that zero to 10 pain scale. So when we say proceed with caution, we don't want you to be afraid or anything, but we want you to be prepared to make some adjustments if needed, right? We want you to be prepared to stop if you need to. We want you to be prepared to make some certain modifications and kind of keep checking in with yourself to see how your body responds and how that pain responds to what you're doing in your workout. Now, red light pain is typically seven or above, right? So seven to 10 on the pain scale. We really don't want to get into red light zone in most cases, in probably the majority of cases. I can't think of a single case where I would want someone to get to a seven out of 10. And the reason for that is because you're probably doing more harm than good, not from a structural standpoint. You're not necessarily causing damage when you get to the red light zone. There's no, you know, uh, Hurt does not necessarily equal harm. That's something that um, we say a lot at Hybrid and something that Ian and Steph talked a lot about in their book, Back in Motion. So, but what happens in the red light zone is things kind of 
start to go on guard a little bit. The nervous system starts to, you know, sound the alarm for those cases. When the pain is really getting up there, that movement is probably not going to be very fun for you, obviously, because it's very uncomfortable. And it might impede your ability to come back to the movement with lower levels of pain in the future, right? So it gets you a little bit sensitized to that particular activity. And we don't necessarily want that. A lot of our, a big part of our goal in both rehab and just navigating these little nagging aches and pains during training is we want desensitization, not sensitization, right? We don't want our body to be really sensitive to certain movements. And like I said, sound the alarm once we, you know, go to hinge down toward the kettlebell and have our body perceive that movement as a threat. We want our body to be desensitized to that movement. And there's a whole process that kind of goes behind that. And we're going to touch on the hybrid model of rehab that will kind of make that a little bit clearer. So that's the pain stoplight. We went through green light, yellow light, and red light types of pain. Again, if your pain gets better as you keep moving, that's a really, really good sign. So take that as a little bit of a win. Now, one other thing that I want to bring up that I believe Barbell Rehab talks about rate of perceived tolerance. So if you're using a a hybrid training program, chances are you use RPE to gauge your exercise intensity. So RPE is a zero to 10 scale to rate your perceived exertion during a particular exercise, right? So RPT is kind of analogous to that, but instead of measuring your perceived exertion, you're measuring your perceived tolerance. So 10 out of 10 on the RPT scale would be your maximum tolerance to a certain movement, meaning that if you were to progress that movement in terms of load or to try and do more reps, you probably wouldn't tolerate it in terms of your symptoms. It would cause an increase in your symptoms, whether that's pain, aches, you know, all of that stuff. So what Barbell Rehab recommends is staying around RPT 7 to 8, which would equate to about a 2 or a 3 out of 10 on the VAS pain scale. So it's almost analogous to RPE and RIR, repetitions in reserve. RPT and your pain scale are kind of similar in terms of how those numbers work. So that's something you might want to look into. If you're having trouble conceptualizing the pain stoplight, maybe RPT is something that clicks with you a bit more, especially if you're well-read in using RPE during your training. So we talked a lot about describing and quantifying your pain. Now, that's not to say that we want you to really hone in and focus on that painful area and really just think about it and assess it, you know, every single second of the day. We don't want to cause you to catastrophize or exaggerate your pain because sometimes that can lead to sensitization as well, 
right? We have all of our attention fixed on this painful area and we really can't get our mind off of it, right? We're much more likely to kind of hone in on it and let those tiny little fluctuations in pain get to us, right? So all of this data that we ask a person for, whether it's certain adjectives, how they would describe their pain, quantifying their pain, giving it a number, giving it a color on the pain stoplight scale. It's really just to get more data, right? Because once you get more data and more information about your pain, it can set you off in the right direction to help reduce that pain and help you find um, alleviating activities, right? That still kind of get you closer to your goal. So with that, let's move on to the hybrid model of rehab. So if you've read Back in Motion, Steffi and Ian go into this pretty in depth. The whole Back in Motion program is built on these three phases of the hybrid model. So I'm just going to give you a little overview of that. Because I think that knowing these phases and knowing that it takes some time and a little bit of intervention on your part to modify your workouts, that might help you kind of wrap your head around a rehab process. Now, phase one is unloading. So in phase one, rather than having you rest completely or avoid exercise completely, that's kind of the opposite of what we want to do. We do want to unload in terms of removing the most painful stimuli or stimulus. So if your deadlift, for example, is really painful, let's say you're having some issues with your lower back, you're struggling to deadlift, we're going to unload. We're going to take that deadlift out temporarily. It's not because deadlifts are bad for your back. It's just that your system right now is a little bit sensitized for whatever reason to the deadlift. So our goal during this first phase, which is typically four weeks, maybe six weeks, we're removing those painful stimuli. We're trying to reduce your pain and restore your range of motion, right? And overall, we want to decrease your sympathetic drive. So when the body is in pain, kind of what I alluded to earlier, it's almost like the alarm systems are going off, right? And so your sympathetic nervous system, your fight or flight nervous system is a little bit elevated. It's perceiving certain movements as threats. So during the unloading phase, maybe we take some time to kind of reduce that sympathetic drive. Maybe we do some deep breathing exercises to kind of get the diaphragm fully expanding and contracting and just kind of bring everything down a notch, right? So the unloading phase is probably what people picture being the most boring of the the rehab phases, but it's really, really important to include at least a few weeks, a couple weeks of unloading. Now, anything that doesn't increase your pain or aggravate your symptoms during the unloading phase, you've got free range over those types of movements. So let's say it is your back that's bothering you, but you have maybe a slew of isolation machines, right? Selectorized equipment at your gym. 
all of those pieces of equipment are totally good for you to still include in your training, right? To keep those muscles working, to keep asking them to produce force, to, to work themselves out, right? So just remember that even if it is free weight movements, you know, maybe you take this time and a big part of injuries is kind of finding the silver lining and maybe identifying some things that you can work on that don't aggravate your symptoms, but that you can kind of improve upon in the time that you're taking to unload the painful body part. So an example I was just going to bring up, maybe this is a great time when your back is a little bit sore, maybe it's a great time to bring up your dumbbell bench press or your pull-up or something like that, right? Maybe a leg press isn't aggravating for you and you're still able to get some good numbers on the leg press and get a good stimulus from the leg press for leg strength. So just keep your mind open during the unloading phase. Now, phase two is the graded exposure phase. Now, this is where that concept of desensitization comes in along with habituation. So we're exposing that affected area to a bit more challenge as is tolerated, right? We want to stay within that green light zone. If we get into the yellow light zone, again, we proceed with caution and we are ready to modify and maybe regress as needed, right? So our goal, again, in phase two, maybe four to six weeks, maybe even eight weeks, right? If things are really angry, whether it's your back, your knee, your shoulder, if things are really angry, we don't want to do too much too soon, right? So if you need to stay in the graded exposure phase a little bit longer, there's nothing wrong with that. The goal is to desensitize and habituate the body to pain. We want to improve the tolerance to those nociceptive or painful stimuli, right? Still want to kind of train the body and the nervous system to not perceive certain movements as threatening anymore. And that's kind of a, another nebulous concept, right? You're kind of thinking, you're kind of having an out-of-body experience when you think about, you know, your body and your nervous system experiencing something that you're not necessarily experiencing because you're all one thing, right? So it can get a little bit confusing and woo-woo sometimes when we talk about pain science like that. But what you have to understand is that when you suffer an injury, you know, that, that one time that you went to pick up the bar off the ground for a deadlift and you felt, you know, that pop in your lower back, your nervous system remembers that. And it's going to do what it has to, to kind of make sure that doesn't happen again, right? So it's going to put off some alarms when, when you try to hinge or try to deadlift before it's ready, right? It's going to try and lock some things up. It might give you some muscle stiffness to kind of protect you, might, you know, prevent you from, from doing that movement because it remembers the threat that it posed that one time, right? So it's our job in the graded exposure phase to kind of gradually expose those regions to, um, to that stimuli. It's almost like, I like the, uh, 
the analogy, like the, the hibernating bear, you know, coming out of the cave. There are a couple of bear analogies in pain science. One is you want to poke the bear without waking it up, right? That's habituation. You want to kind of just poke that pain with certain movements that aren't necessarily, for example, with our deadlift example, it's not necessarily a conventional deadlift, but you know, maybe it's a kneeling hip hinge, right? A low kneel to tall kneel kind of thing, or maybe it's a kettlebell RDL, you know, kind of almost tricking your body into doing a deadlift variation, but it's not the same one that caused the pain initially. So you're just poking the bear without waking it up, right? Without pissing everything off. The other one that I like that is bear related, um, the hibernating bear, you know, that comes, comes out of the cave. Oh, maybe it's not a hibernating bear. It could easily be a human. I think this one might be human. If you're, if you're in a cave, if you're hibernating in a cave for months and then you come out and it's springtime and the sun is shining and you open your eyes, you're probably going to be quite sensitive to that brightness outside, to that blazing sun. You're going to need sunglasses, right? But little by little, your eyes kind of adjust and get used to that stimulus of the bright light coming into your eyes. And eventually, maybe you don't need sunglasses all of the time and you're able to tolerate that that bright light. So I kind of like to use that one as well because, you know, we don't just want to come out from the cave and eyes wide open staring into the sun we got to gradually let our bodies adjust so then after the graded exposure phase we've got phase three the return to loading phase and I personally think the graded exposure phase is really fun because you start doing things that you don't necessarily do in your normal day-to-day training. Like I said, if you're doing low to high kneel or kneeling hip hinge kind of stuff, if you're doing some windmill work with a kettlebell, if you're doing arm bars with a kettlebell, um, different mobility drills, you're probably filling in a lot of gaps in your training that weren't being addressed before. So graded exposure phase, I think, is really fun for that reason. You get the chance to learn a lot about your personal training habits, your personal training preferences, and maybe where you're, you might be missing the mark on some stuff. So it's a little bit of a chance for exploration. But that's just me. I guarantee that most of you are going to think that phase three is the most fun because it's the return to loading phase. So this is where the lines between rehab and training are just significantly blurred and it looks like you're training, right? It really doesn't look much like rehab. You're getting a barbell back into your hands and reintroducing those previously aggravating activities. So maybe it was the barbell deadlift. Maybe it was a back squat. You know, maybe it was the bench press. Maybe you've got some cranky shoulders, right? And we're giving them a break for a little bit and building back their capacity. Now, a big part of phase three is knowing how to auto-regulate your training by using your pain as a guide. So that's why we started off with how to use the visual analog scale or the pain stoplight or RPT because building those skills of being able to accurately use those scales and modify your workout as needed or auto-regulate your training as needed, that's going to be the key to preventing you from doing too much too soon, right? And too much too soon it happens. It's happened to me as an athlete. It happens to everybody. 
And it's, it doesn't mean that you have to start from zero because you've been doing a lot of work potentially for the last, you know, eight to 12 weeks before you got to phase three. You've been doing a lot of work to put in some really, really good new skills, to build some really, really good new skills that will serve you well and will make it so that you're a little bit more resilient, right? If you happen to do too much too soon but we want to avoid that as much as possible, right? Mostly because it's a big psychological, it's, it's big on your psychological state when you are doing really well and then, you know, you kind of have a little bit of a setback. What's up, everyone? It's your favorite podcast producer, Nick Tricana, here to give you a word from our incredible sponsor over at Element. Because we love y'all so much over here at Hybrid Unlimited, we're going to hook you up with a free sample pack of Element just for you. Each sample pack includes eight grab-and-go packets in a variety of different flavors. All you have to do is go to drinkelement.com hybrid. That's drinklmnt.com hybrid. I mean, that's why sports psychology is a thing, right? To help people navigate those setbacks, learn from them, learn how to use them in their, to their advantage. But it can be hard, right? Especially if you don't have the resources or access to that type of treatment. So to prevent the need for all of that, we want to make sure that our use of training auto regulation is where it needs to be by this third phase, this return to loading phase. Okay. And one thing about the return to loading phase is it's really, it's really a blow to the ego, right? to return to a previously aggravating movement. You might be a little bit, you know, a little bit wary about getting back to that movement because again, your nervous system remembers and you remember it's normal to have a little bit of hesitation. Now phases one and two should have served as big confidence boosters as well. And when you approach that barbell for the first time again, our goal is to make sure that you do it with some confidence, right? Now, easier said than done. One thing that I was just going to get to is you're not going to just slap on the same weights that you were using pre-injury, right? You got to start low. It's much better to start lighter and do more warm-up sets to kind of gauge how your body's responding that day. Okay, still feels good. Set one with super, maybe it's just the empty bar. Set one, super light, few reps, maybe six to eight reps feels good. Let me add a little bit more, right? Incremental increases in the load rather than just returning to what you were doing before you got hurt. The other thing is with the return to loading phase, you don't necessarily want to have one big bolus of training volume on one day. You want to spread it out maybe two or three times a week, right? Again, for that exposure, for that habituation, continuing to uh, uh, desensitize the body to that movement. So rather than hammering it the first day back or the first couple weeks back with one really, you know, intensive bench press day, for example, maybe you leave a little bit in the tank. Maybe you do two or three working sets instead of five or six, and then you have day two, right? Right couple days later, 
you're able to assess your soreness. You're able to assess your body's response to reintegrating the bench press to your training. If the soreness isn't, you know, debilitating and it resolves in 48, 72 hours, then go back again, right? Do the same thing you did. Maybe a couple more pounds. Staying within that RPT of seven to eight, right? Not necessarily going 10 out of 10 max tolerance to see how much you can do. So those are some of the main points from the hybrid model of rehab. Now, if you want to deep dive into that again, back in motion is going to be your resource. We can, we'll be happy to answer questions too, if you have any specific questions. So your instantly implementable action item today, we're going to go over how to modify a specific exercise based on the symptoms that you're feeling. So you're doing your workout and you're noticing, dang, my knee is cranky today or my shoulders are cranky today or my low back is just, you know, not having it today, right? And you've already done the steps. You've You've evaluated your pain. You got more data to see where am I on the pain stoplight? Am I, is this green light pain? Is it getting better as I go? Okay, then I just need to continue to warm up and it'll continue to get better. This is more so if you're stuck in that yellow light zone and you don't exactly know how to get back to the green zone. These next six steps, it's kind of the algorithm that you can take yourself through to get back to that green zone. Okay. And again, our goal here is just to get more data. So with each of these steps, you're going to be taking tabs on, okay, did that make things better or did that make things worse? Right? So step one, when you're doing your exercise, let's see, what, what example do I want to use here? Let's, let's use a squat. Okay. Let's use some hip pain with the back squat. All right. So you're doing your back squats and you're noticing this hip pain. Maybe it's new. Maybe you felt it before. Step one, whether it's the bench press or the back squat or the deadlift or a different movement, this is going to be your algorithm. Step one is just going to be to reach for the lowest hanging fruit by evaluating your setup. A lot of times, especially with hip pain in the squat, a little bit of change to setup makes a huge difference. So maybe that is if it's hip pain, maybe that's your stance width. Maybe it's your toe angle or your foot angle. How far out are those toes pointing? Are you at that 45 degree or are you straight forward? Maybe if you tried the opposite end of the spectrum, maybe things get a little bit better. Are you super narrow with your stance? Is it hip width apart with your feet right underneath your hips and your shoulders? Or is it a little bit wider? Does do either of those different stances help make your symptoms better? Maybe if you're dealing with some shoulder stuff, it's your grip width, right? On the barbell for your back squat or your grip width on the bench press, for example. So step one is just to evaluate your setup because that can really affect the mechanics of the movement as you go through your reps. Again, it's the lowest hanging fruit, right? Step two, let's say changing your setup just subtly, nothing crazy. Changing your your setup didn't really do much, right? So step two 
is where we swallow our ego, right? And we reduce the load a little bit. So this will give us good data too, because if your symptoms are only replicable with heavier weights that are on the higher end of your one rep max percentage, but you're fine with the lighter loads, maybe it's just a capacity issue, right? So maybe we work with some lighter loads, right? To habituate, desensitize the area for a couple of weeks. And then we revisit slightly higher loads gradually after that. But in this session, your job is to reduce the load and see if that helps. Now, if that doesn't help, my next recommendation, step three, would be to play with the tempo of the movement. In particular, I want you to try slowing it down, especially in the eccentric phase or the descent of the squat in this example, right? By playing with tempo and slowing things down, you give your body a little bit more time to adjust, to stabilize, to get a little bit more control throughout the movement, and maybe a little more time to make some subtle adjustments along the way, right? If you're dropping weight really, really quickly down into the bottom of your squat, you know, maybe your ability to brace is affected, right? Maybe you're not able to adjust to those higher velocities just yet. So I would like to see someone slow things down and see if that helps at all. Now, when I say slow, I'm talking like a three-second descent, a three-second eccentric phase. Now, you can certainly play with the concentric phase too to see if that makes things better or worse to do... um, you know, maybe two or three seconds up. Now you already reduced the load, which would be a prerequisite to slowing things down, right? If you did step two already and you reduced the load, that's good because you're going to need a lighter load anyway when you're moving slower for step three, okay? Now, if you're playing with the tempo and still nothing's really making a big difference, Step four is to modify the range of motion. So we're going to change the movement just a little bit so that you're not going through that sensitive part of the range of motion or that irritating part of the range of motion. So if the squat is bothering you only at the bottom when you're in the hole below parallel, maybe you do a box squat, right? You give yourself a little bit of a target with your hips so that you're going just to parallel or maybe just above parallel, depending on what you can tolerate best today. For the bench press, maybe that's, you know, benching to the blocks on your chest. For the deadlift, maybe that's doing uh, pulls from the blocks or rack pull, lighter rack pulls. So modifying the range of motion, again, can kind of help you go through the movement It's a very similar pattern, probably identical to what you would do without those constraints being placed, the box, the blocks, etc. But you're not going to be pissing things off. That's kind of a common theme here, right? So you're modifying the range of motion. Step five. There might come a time where you just say, all right, this movement is not happening for me. I've evaluated my setup. I've reduced the load. I'm lifting barely any weight now. I tried going slower on the way down and slower on the way up. I'm doing a box squat, but really nothing's helping. 
So step five, if you get that far down the list, you might want to lateralize to a similar variation of the movement, right? Or maybe you're even substituting in a regression of the movement, right? As um, Craig Liebenson says, this is when you find the hardest thing you do well. He uses it in a bit of a different context when it comes to evaluations, but I couldn't think of a better way to put it. Step five, we need to find the hardest thing that you can do where your symptoms aren't being replicated and aggravated, right? Especially if you're still in the yellow zone by the time you get to step five. Or maybe you're getting into the red zone, right? Then maybe it's time to lateralize, right? So for the back squat, maybe it's regressing to a lunge variation, right? Which is still a great option because you're doing a unilateral or an asymmetrical lower body strengthening movement now, right? That could help you address some differences from side to side, especially if your symptoms are unilateral. You can get more data too from the lunge. Maybe you go to the leg press, something that's a little bit more controlled. There are more constraints. You're able to stabilize yourself against the pad of the seat of the leg press, but you're still doing a squat motion with your lower body, right? So step five, there's nothing wrong with step five because you're going to find the movement that you can do instead of the aggravating movement that will still allow you to get a good stimulus in terms of strength or in terms of muscular endurance, whatever you're looking to get that day, you can get it with a similar variation. Now, the most important step in my mind is step six. And step six is a little bit more general, it's evaluate your training program, especially if the issue is recurrent, if it happens more often than not when you squat, for example, you're going to want to look at how often you're squatting, how much you're squatting in terms of volume. Are you squatting and doing certain squatting accessories to help you build up the supporting musculature? and different movement patterns that are still squat intensive, like a lunge, for example, or a single leg squat, or maybe you're including some accessories like leg extension, leg curl, or maybe you're not doing any of those things, right? Evaluate your training program. In my mind, it all comes down to that. I think, I'm convinced that the majority of aches and pains that we see powerlifters and weightlifters and crossfitters it's a lot to do with the training program right and we can look at ways to optimize the training program for that specific person depending on their unique strengths their unique weaknesses their needs and their goals so at hybrid our training programs are generally pretty good. And the thing is, we're very upfront with the level of athlete that should be pursuing each program. Some programs are geared toward beginners. Some programs say you should have some experience, you should be intermediate to advanced for this program. And evaluating your training program is a good chance for you to say, is this too advanced for me, right? Am I trying to do too much too soon all the time, whether I'm hurt or not? Because we know that injuries happen when 
the demand placed on the tissue, the load placed on the tissue exceeds the tissue's capacity for load, right? It exceeds the tissue tolerance. Now, one thing is, you know, 100% pain-free all the time really should never be our goal. It's a great thought. I would love to be 100% pain-free all the time. But since we're active individuals and we prioritize fitness and we prioritize strength in particular here at Hybrid, there's going to be some aches and pains along the way, right? And as I alluded to earlier, sometimes those nagging aches and pains, they do come with some silver linings, right? They give us a chance to reevaluate. They give us a chance to build up some other weaknesses while we let ourselves recuperate. And the fact of the matter is, in life, you got to choose your pain, right? Even if you weren't a strength seeker, and maybe you were more sedentary, and maybe you didn't prioritize fitness all that much, you know, you're still going to experience pain, right? You're still going to have some nagging aches. It's just going to be different kinds, right? So we get to choose our pain. And it can be a scary thing navigating these aches and pains on your own. Now, guys, one thing I need to include before I sign off is that being evaluated in person, one-on-one by a qualified professional, there's really no substitute for that. We do a lot on the digital side on our Discord page, but there really is no replacement for seeing someone eye to eye, right, for an evaluation. And I know that we went through a lot of information today and I undoubtedly, you know, missed something or did not expand upon something as much as you might have wanted. There are a lot of nuances and details and further research surrounding all of these topics. So if you feel like I missed anything or if you have additional questions, again, just reach out um, and hopefully we'll have another episode like this soon where we can expand upon some of those um, common questions, right? So just wanted to add that. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening and we will see you later.